Good morning again. Grab a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 12 and Luke chapter 14 for our main passage this morning. So we'll start in Luke chapter 12 here in just a moment. I'm going to give you a, a couple of, uh, I guess, a disclaimer real quick. I've, I had a little cold virus last week, and it slowly developed into bronchitis over the weekend. So uh, I'm going to try really hard uh, not to cough into the microphone. Things are going okay so far, uh, but that's my disclaimer. I've also been taking cough medicine so if I say something that seems a little off, uh, that's probably what it is this morning, okay? Uh, and also, if you received one of these yellow sheets of paper and you're uh, in the seat when you got here this morning, we're going to talk more about that uh, later on in the lesson, and our youth minister, Kay Cox, will come up here and explain that. So just keep that with you, and we'll talk more about it as the lesson goes on. Uh, one of our big focus areas for our vision this year for our church is Christ. In families. Uh, this morning, the, the scriptures that we're going to look at are not very family friendly. It reminds me of a guy named Ernest Boyer tells a story about a lady who attended his church. She was a faithful Christian. She was a single lady, a lawyer, and uh, you know, faithful attender at church and very involved. And then at one point in her life, she decided through the foster care system that she wanted to adopt two children. So she did. She became a mother, a parent, and she wanted to figure out how to integrate her faith into her parenting life. How do you be a parent and then also live by the Christian faith? And she uh, found some unanticipated barriers that she wasn't expecting. And one day she went up to her preacher and she said, I'm never reading the New Testament again. And he said, okay, what's this all about? And she said, Jesus didn't have, to say, have one positive thing to say about families. So do you read the New Testament? You read Jesus' teachings, and he seems to be negative when it comes to families. He talks about leaving your family behind in order to follow him. He talks about leaving your life and other things behind in order to follow him. How can you do that and be a parent? So she said, I'm done with it. So they wound up having a long conversation that day, but I'm keeping her setbacks, her concerns with the New Testament in mind as we read some of these texts this morning. We'll start in Luke 12, verse 51 through 53 as an example. All right, We're just kind of picking up in the middle of the chapter here, but starting Luke 12, verse 51, Jesus says, do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So we, as a church, we talk about Christ and families as one of our goals. And here, Jesus is talking about division. When you read a passage like that, and I'm using that lady as an example who said, I'm never reading the New Testament again. I can see where some of her concerns come from. And if we were just to read this passage, take it out of context and try to interpret it, we, a bad interpretation of this text could be dangerous. A text about division in families uh, is not an excuse to have poor relationships with your family members. However, in reality, you know, I've heard many stories, even in the last couple of years, of missionaries, specifically missionaries to Muslim 
countries and territories where they've converted Muslims to Christ, and somebody makes a decision to be baptized into Christ, well, that means a lot for them. That means that they're going to be excommunicated from their family, kicked out of their household. So in one sense, in the grand scheme of things, following Jesus has caused some division amongst family members. But this text in Luke 12 isn't commanding you to go cause division in your families. There's something deeper going on. So I can see where this lady was coming from, you know, trying to be a parent and then trying to read the New Testament. But even more troubling, even more disturbing than that is the passage from Luke 14. Uh, this was our scripture reading this morning, Luke 14, verse 25 through 35. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really just focus on Luke 14, verse 25 through 27. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So again, as a church, we say things like Christ and family is what we want to focus on, and Jesus is using words like hate. Again, I can see where this lady is coming from when she's having trouble reading the New Testament and being a parent. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to be hate. You have to be willing to hate your family, even your own life, in order to follow me. So let's back up for just a second and think about what we know about Jesus and family. Jesus had a family of his own growing up. He had a family of origin. We know from the Bible, who was Jesus' mom? Mary. Who was Jesus' dad? Joseph. So he, Jesus had parents, Mary and Joseph. He was raised by parents. Jesus had siblings. So that means Jesus grew up in and amongst a family, in a household, learning how to interact with them. Jesus, just like a lot of you, maybe you've come to church this morning with your family. Jesus would have gone to regular worship at the synagogue with his family, traveled to Jerusalem each year to the temple with his family. Jesus was obedient to his parents. So Jesus knows all about family. Now as an adult, there's no family that we read about of Jesus' own. He, he chose a very radical lifestyle, but, but Jesus knows about family because he grew up in one. And then throughout the New Testament, there's full of, of images and illustrations regarding families. And if you look at Jesus' own life and teachings, it's full of family language. What does Jesus call God? Father. And sometimes he says, Abba, Father. That's family language. In John chapter 2, Jesus attends a wedding. His mom gets him involved, and he winds up changing the water into wine to let the wedding celebration continue. So Jesus affirms a wedding feast. Earlier this year, we studied through the Gospel of Mark, and when we got to Mark chapter 10, we looked at Jesus' views on marriage. And Jesus has very high views of marriage and the sacredness of marriage. So Jesus affirms weddings. He affirms marriages. When little children are brought to Jesus and other people say, send the kids away, Jesus says, no, let them come to me. So Jesus affirms children. And in the very next chapter that we have on screen right here in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells these three parables. And the last parable he tells in Luke 15 is the parable of the lost son. It's about a dad and his two boys, and the two boys are wayward just in different ways. And the parable is about the dad's love for his children. 
So Jesus affirms parenting. Jesus affirms families. Jesus affirms children and marriages and weddings. And even on the cross in John chapter 19, Jesus looked to his own mother and made sure that she was taken care of. So I'll go over all that to tell you Jesus was filled with family and family language. Jesus is not anti-family. Jesus is pro-family. So when you read passages like Luke 12 and Luke chapter 14, how do we balance this tension? How do we understand teachings about how I've not come to bring peace on earth but division? How do we understand Jesus saying, you want to be my disciple, you have to be willing to hate father, mother, brother, sister, children, even your own life? How does this balance out? How does it make sense? Well, before we go any further, it'd be helpful to look at the synoptic equivalent. Um, The synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they're very similar to each other. So in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew records pretty much the same teaching, just uses his words a little differently. So if you want to look at Matthew 10, I'll just quickly, briefly read verse 37 and 38, Matthew's version of this teaching. Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose lose their life for my sake will find it. Many people prefer Matthew's teaching on this over Luke because Matthew softens it a little bit. It's not quite as harsh. Matthew uses the phrase, loves more than me. Okay, so maybe that helps you understand Luke's version a little bit better. Maybe hate is too strong of a word. Maybe it's too extreme for us. So when Matthew has Jesus saying, if you love your family more than me, you're not worthy of me. Luke 14 says you cannot be my disciple. So keep that in mind. We're going to shift back to Luke 14, but just keep Matthew 10 in mind, and maybe you prefer Matthew's language. But in Luke 14, 25 through 35, from our entire scripture reading this morning, three times Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. Verse 26, 27, and 33. If you don't hate your family and your own life, can't be my disciple. If you don't pick up up and carry your cross, you cannot be my disciple. And then he gives two illustrations uh, about going off to war or building a tower. And if you didn't count the cost first, then you're not able to finish. And he says, if you're not willing to renounce everything, you cannot be my disciple. What does he mean by that? What does Jesus mean by you cannot be my disciple? I don't think Jesus is saying, I'm going to pull away your discipleship card. I'm going to mark your name off the list. I think what Jesus means is it's just not going to work. If you're just a half-hearted, committed, sort of in, sort of out, one foot in, one foot out, follower of Jesus, it just doesn't work. You're not going to truly be able to be a disciple with that sort of commitment. So what's the point of this teaching? What's the point of using words like hate in Luke 14? What's the word, what's the point of this, you would call it hyperbole or this extreme exaggerated language? What's the point of this discipleship teaching? In my opinion, I think Jesus's purpose and his point here is about priorities. If we make a decision to follow Jesus, I think what he demands from us is following him becomes a priority in every area of our life. 
I think reading this text, everybody could agree with that. The problem is when we ask ourselves, how's that going for us? And if I were being honest, if I try to preach the truth of what Jesus teaches, but also uh, come with the grace of how I, my own shortcomings, my own failings, I think that all of us are probably a little bit of a blend of, yes, Jesus is a priority, but we also are committed to a lot of other things. And we're kind of a blend. But Jesus says, no, following me, you've got to be willing to lose your life and put family behind you if that's what it calls for. Lose your own life, carry your cross, that's what it takes. Jesus is demanding absolute loyalty and priority in your life, in all areas of your life. The way you spend your time, the way you schedule things out, your thoughts, the things that you think about, the things that you put into your mind, the way that you spend your money, your bank account, your commitments, your life purpose, and even church. Uh, about a decade ago, uh, the church I was working for, we were having a lot of trouble getting what we would call young people to come to church. What we meant by young people were anybody in their 20s, 30s, or 40s. So it's kind of broad. Young families, young people. Uh, and we were trying all sorts of things just to get them to come to church. But while that was happening, I had a good friend of mine who was in his mid-20s. He lived in San Antonio, and every time I talked to him, he was teaching a Devo on a Wednesday night or leading a class on a Sunday morning, and I said, man, you're in your mid-20s, and you are very involved in your church, while over here we can't get people your age to even come to church. What's the difference? Why are you so involved? And without missing a beat, he said, priorities and commitments. I said, elaborate on that. And he said, we have a lot of say over how we spend our time. And he said, I made church a priority in my life, and so I'm sticking with that commitment. I'm sticking with that church. And I said, man, will you move here and be a part of this church and start a movement here? Priorities and commitments. He says, it's simple as that. Make it a priority. So when Jesus demands absolute priority in your life, church is involved in that. So I'll say a word about church. I know that attending worship and being a part of a church, that your Christianity, that your faith is not reduced to just attendance. I know there's a lot more that goes into it. But I do think if Jesus is number one priority in your life, that means your commitment to worship, your commitment to your church family will also be priority. I think we live in a culture and in a time where there's a lot of things competing for your attention and for your time, and there's a lot of options. There's a lot of things you probably could have done this morning. So I think following Jesus demands that we make church a priority, which may mean that you have to commit to it, and you may have to say no to some things and say yes to this. And what about making Jesus a priority in your family? Jesus says that he demands loyalty. You can't, in Matthew 10, you can't love your family more than you love Jesus. So how does that work itself out? Because we want Christ to shine and be a part of, be over and be in your families. When I think of this, think of priority, think of family, and maybe the differences between following Jesus or being a part of a family, uh, the Hebrew word for family is is not translated easily in English, and so the Hebrew word can be translated as either tribe, clan, or family. So however you describe your family or a group of people that you're a part of, uh, the Hebrew word is kind of broad in that. 
So I naturally, when I'm thinking of Luke 14, thinking of what family means biblically, uh, my first thought was Rwanda in the early 90s. The country of Rwanda in Africa uh, was considered to be over 90% Christian. That means that 90% of the people that lived in Rwanda claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ. So that means anytime you go to the store or walk down the road, you're probably interacting with somebody that claims to be a Christian. And then in 1994, there was a horrible genocide that took place where almost a million Rwandans were murdered by fellow Rwandans. So what's puzzled people for decades now is how did that happen? How do you have a country that claims Christ that is so... uh, the, the numbers are so high when it comes to those who claim to be Christian. How does a genocide happen? Well, a simple explanation is the genocide took place because of the two main tribes, and one tribe uh, was motivated to wipe out the other tribe, so their loyalty to their tribe was higher than their loyalty to Jesus. They had it backwards. If their absolute loyalty and priority was Jesus Christ, a genocide would have never happened. But they chose what was going on within their tribe to be the most important, to grab their allegiance above their allegiance to Christ. So Jesus is very direct and clear in Luke 14 that loyalty to him is over biological families, over tribes or clans or groups or political parties or whatever we're part of. Loyalty to Jesus is first. So if you're an adult, and you're raising kids, or you've raised kids, or you're a grandparent, whatever it may be. Maybe you're single. We're all a part of a family. So that means that we've inherited certain uh, habits and behaviors that we learned growing up. Some of them good, probably some of them bad. Maybe it's a blend of both. So it doesn't mean that everything that you learned growing up was wrong. But a lot of us probably come from families where we just carry out the behaviors and patterns subconsciously without even realizing it. So some of our families, maybe your motto, your way of operating was you gossip a lot. Or maybe your family is very judgmental. Or maybe your family is prejudiced towards certain races. I don't know, the list could go on. And if that's how you were raised... Maybe following Jesus as an adult means that you leave certain uh, uh, behaviors and patterns behind. You You don't have to carry everything with you, and it doesn't mean your parents did a bad job, but Jesus being number one priority may mean in your own family you have to examine the way you operate and some things that maybe need to change if Jesus is going to be the number one priority. But here's the great thing about this teaching. In Luke 14, when Jesus uses this word hate and then follows that with family, it can be disturbing like it was to the woman that I used at the beginning, this example. But here's the twist. Here's the fun part. Is that learning to apply these teachings may actually make you a better family member. It seems negative towards families, but if we learn to make Jesus' number one priority in our lives, if we learn to deny ourselves, 
And some of the things that Alan talked about in our communion thoughts this morning, like learning people in our lives that we need to forgive and be willing to love. If, if we can start to live out those teachings, love and service and sacrifice, we become better family members, do we not? Selfishness is the main thing that kills relationships, especially relationships within your family. So learning to make Jesus a number one commitment and priority in your life will only help your family, which is ironic because when you read this at face value, it sounds harsh towards families. So what Jesus is trying to do, I think, with his teachings and, and his life and his experience with families and some of these seemingly harsh words towards families, he is trying to reestablish priorities for us. He's not devaluing families. He's just revaluing family in light of the kingdom of God, in light of a larger truth. So if you were to examine yourself or your family and ask, okay, how do we reestablish priorities or how do we make Jesus a priority? Uh, one of the things that we hear sometimes, and it's true for my own family, we talk about this at home, is how do we even start to have biblical or godly conversations? Uh, so as a staff, and with our elders and with our vision team, uh, one of the things that we talk about when it comes to something like Christ in families is not just what is our vision, what is our focus, but how do we implement our vision? So some of the brainstorming we've done, we came up with this idea that has to do with this, this yellow sheet that you had at your, at your seat this morning. And uh, I'm going to invite Cade Cox for just a few minutes. I'm going to pass it on to him, and he's going to explain to you what this is all about, and then I'll come back up and wrap it up. All right, thanks, Cade. Thanks for bringing this idea to us. So now you get an idea of why this yellow sheet was in your seat uh, Kate explained it very simple. Just cut them out, put them in a box, uh, and it's an exciting challenge. You know, we did this. I knew this was coming, so I, I practiced it with my family last night. I have two kids. Uh, we got this box. Uh, they helped me cut it out and crumble them up and put them in here. And my kids were fighting over who got to put their hand in first to pull the sheet out, and so they did it together. And we pulled out this first question, the same question that Kate had: What's your favorite Bible verse and why? And literally, the whole thing took 10 minutes. I have two little kids, but it was a way to have godly conversations. We did it while we were eating dinner. And the question was, what's your favorite Bible verse and why? And uh, Jessica explained hers from Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. I talked about James 4.14 and why. My daughter uh, talked about the entire story of Noah and it was neat, her articulating that, hearing her heart. My son is three years old, so I said, Christian, what's your favorite Bible verse and why? And he said, monster trucks. So we, I don't think he quite gets it yet, but we're working on that. So Jesus calls us to, to, make, to make following him the number one priority in our lives. And, and we're really committed to, as a church... Christ and families, and how do we do that? How can we help you with that? Whether you're empty nesters and you're going to do this with your spouse, or maybe you're single, you do it with your connect group, or your extended family, or maybe you're raising young children, whatever this would look like for you, we just hope and pray that you use this as a, a springboard, a way to start conversations, that maybe that can lead to deeper conversations if your kids are older, and maybe that can lead to something great that God could work through and bless. 
Uh, Many years ago, Tom Landry was asked at an event how he had been so successful as a football coach. And he said, it's simple. A long time ago, I established my priorities. He said, God first, then family, then football. He said, when you put football first, because he's a football coach, things in life don't flow too well. But he said, when I established my priorities, put God first, then family, then football, then everything else worked out for me. Now, I don't know much about Tom Landry's personal life, but I think he's on to something there. I think he's on to what Jesus is teaching in Luke 14. Anybody that wants to come after me and be my disciple and doesn't hate father, mother, brother, sister, children, you cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to carry your own cross, you cannot be my disciple. And what he's calling for is absolute loyalty and commitment to him above all else. So Christ in families, we don't worship families, we don't make family the idol, but Christ in families, Christ is over and in your family. And when we make Jesus' number one priority and commitment in our life, we become better spouses, better parents, better children, and all of that is for the sake of the glory of God. And we want our families to shine in a world that desperately needs for people to see the glory of God. This morning, if you have any needs, we have shepherds that will be around the room. I'll be up front. We'll have a shepherd up front with me. If you need to think about Jesus as priority in your life or you want to talk more about that or be prayed for, or if you're interested in being baptized into Christ and becoming a follower of Jesus, we're going to sing an invitation song, and I encourage you to come up front or to find one of our elders around the room and respond. Let's stand and sing.